Sports Radio welcomes you to the Lion's Den with your hosts, Michael Heiger and Louis Bellotta. Oh, yes! You are listening to the Lion's Den here on Impact Sports. What is going on, everybody? I am your host, Michael Heiger. I'm in a good mood this week, as you can tell. And I'm joined by my co-hosts, like every week. Louis Pilata. Tiger, you sound a little hoarse. I'm a little hoarse. <laughs> following that amazing Michigan State trouncing of the Michigan Wolverines on Saturday. Lost my voice, but it wouldn't be a Michigan-Michigan State game if you don't lose your voice. Very true. Very true. So it's come back a little bit, and I'm ready for this show. And I know this guy is as well, Chris Bogstradamus. Bogstradamus. What's Bogus. up? What's up? What is going on, Chris? Let's get it going. These lines got me hype right now. Yes, they do. It was an early morning game for the Lions, 9.30 a.m. Eastern time. Had to wake up bright and early following those Michigan-Michigan State celebration parties. And they got it off to a pretty slow start, and we had ourselves asking, did we really have to wake up for this? Yeah, it was pretty brutal. It was pretty brutal. I woke up, my alarm, my alarm clock's at 9.28, and it felt pretty good to wake up, <laughs> roll right out of bed, and throw on the Lions game. But it didn't feel good at the beginning when the Lions gave up the first score of the game to a Devontae Freeman touchdown catch from Matt Ryan on uh, with 9.25 left in the first quarter. And then, seven minutes later, the Falcons extend their lead in the first quarter to 14-0 off a one-yard touchdown catch of, from Bear Pasco from Matt Ryan. And then, to make things worse, going, going into the half, the Lions gave up a one-yard touchdown run to Steven Jackson. Falcons had a 21-0 lead going into the half. Now I want to know from you guys, halftime, did you think it was over? Did I did you? not think it was over, but I didn't – I mean, all right. No, I didn't – I'm not even going to say anything. No, I did not think it was over. Just because of last week, I did not think it was over. I believed all the way. I was very discouraged. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I, oh, I was, yeah. I, I mean, was it, very discouraged. To say one Lions fan wasn't discouraged out there I think would be a lie, but I was pretty – you know, I was pretty confident just because of the whole Saints win. Yeah, I mean, you had to look back at the previous week and realize this is a team that knows how to come back. And I think because that game was so fresh in the mind of Lions fans, I, for one, was pretty doubtful of the Lions' chances of coming back and winning this game. But I still had a little bit of hope in the back of my mind because it is only three scores in two quarters. The Lions can do that. The Lions are the number one defense going into the game. I had a good feeling that this Lions defense could shut down Matt Ryan and the Falcons, who were moving the ball very well down the field the first quarter. They did, and that was the one thing I alluded on in my re- in my uh, my little preview there before the game was that uh, the you know the Lions gave up two 100 yard receivers last week to Kenny Stills and Marcus Colston, and so I thought that was I thought that that was that was going to happen again this week. I thought with Julio Jones and Roddy White that it was not out of the picture for both of them to catch for over 100 yards against the Lions, just given that Drew Brees could do it with less caliber players than Julio Jones and Roddy White. I'll tell you the guy who I was a little more worried about than Roddy White going into the game was Harry Douglas. He made some good catches. He, he made did. some clutch catches. Very, mm-hmm. very nice catches. He's a guy that's very, that's 
pretty forgotten in this Falcons offense when you've got a Roddy White, a Julio Jones in there, Steven Jackson on the ground. But Harry Douglas is a nice piece in there, really strong number three receiver um, for this team. So he was a guy that I was pretty worried about, and he did make some nice catches in the first half, like you guys mentioned. But going into the second half, Lions started to catch a little bit of hope, catch some breaks. Um, Matt Prater got the scoring start in the second half of the 22-yard field goal. It was a little disheartening. The Lions had a chance to score on that drive, and they just weren't able to get it done. A 15-play, 76-yard drive to start the to start the second half uh, to make the score 21-3. to And then you're starting to realize, here's some points starting to produce. Golden Tate catching that 59-yard touchdown pass from Matthew Stafford. That was great. Record breaker. It was a record breaker. Matthew Stafford now the all-time leader in touchdown passes for the Detroit Lions. Do you think this makes him the best Detroit Lions quarterback of ever? Of course. Well, yeah, he, he oh, didn't have a whole lot of competition. I, mean, I think he, he owns almost every record. Move over Bobby Lane? Oh, yeah. He is owning almost every record. Slowly breaking the Bobby Lane curse. Ooh. I, I'm hesitant to call him the best Lions quarterback ever until I see him win a playoff game. It's true. I would have to agree with that. But just I'm thinking just stats alone and the performances that he's put up compared to Bobby Lane, who I've never watched play because that's a long, long time ago. <laughs> I just think he's better. I mean, and we're talking about a guy who was just drafted, it seems like yesterday, it was 2009. And here he's already the all time the all time leader for Detroit Lions touchdown passes, and it's really remarkable to see how quickly he's been able to do that and passing yards too. Shows so, you where the league's at. Shows you where the league is at today. Much more of a focus on the passing game. I think it's been a of great benefit to Matthew Stafford. And so moving into the fourth quarter, Matt Prater kicked another field goal, a twenty yard field goal. Not pretty, also pretty disheartening. Lions were able to get the ball down in the three yard line, weren't able to capitalize. I, had, I was really questioning some of Stafford's throws on that drive, um, especially coming out of a turnover there. But um, Lions were able to raise the score up to 21-13. to 13, And now you're really starting to think, we're in this. We're in this. We have a chance. The Lions have a chance. And Theo Riddick, Chris's boy, My boy. Um, was able to make the score 21-19 to 19 with 3.56 left into the game. And the Lions went for a two-point conversion. Uh, Matthew Stafford throw to Golden Tate. Controversial pa- no call there on pass interference. Golden Tate was looking for it. We were all looking for it. Didn't come out. Chris, do you think they should have thrown the flag on that play? Yeah, absolutely. There was a lot. Pulling on the uh, back of the shoulder pad, that backside, where that ref on the uh, sideline couldn't see that. It, it's it, it's very uh, disheartening to see some, a call like that not you know, go through when it was obvious, a whole turning of his body. And uh, even I think there was a little bit of an arm bar in there. So it's sad to see something like that. Maybe a possible overtime game in London would have been better all around, probably. Lewis, I know you might have a little bit of a different opinion on if that call actually had been called and Lions had been com- had converted that two-point conversion. I think I want to bring that up after we finish the recap. Okay. Just because we're going to get so put off track, I feel like, by it. I'll bring it up in a couple minutes here. Not a problem. Well, Lions are able to get the ball back. Some real questionable calls on the Atlanta Falcons there on that final drive. Where Not complaining, though. Not complaining. Not <laughs> complaining at all. But on third down and nine, throwing a screen pass to Julio Jones, who Julio Jones, one of the top 
five receivers in the NFL, you have to say, some of the best hands in the league. And he goes and drops that ball on third and nine. Ooh. And you're starting to think, are the gods starting to shine down on Wembley Stadium and the Detroit Lions? Because Julio Jones does not drop screen passes. He, he, he doesn't. And so Lions were able to get the ball back with a lot of time on the clock to get the ball down the field. They had a minute 38 left. And Matt Prater comes out for a 43-yard field goal. I don't think I've ever had my heart beating faster for a Lions game. I don't think. That was something else. I was on the edge of my bed. My everything was crossed. I just I was like going back and forth, like leaning over. I just couldn't. Oh man, it was was sweat. Sweat was pouring from my hands. Oh man, (laughs) I had my hands covered. I I I I have to admit, I was covering my eyes. I really couldn't watch. This was the. This was more nerve-wracking than the Saints game from last week because all of a sudden it's all down to Matt Prater and the kicking, which has seemed to curse the Lions all season. Worst in the NFL. Worst in the NFL. Historically bad kicking. And here's Matt Prater, who's made a 64-yard field goal before, but has been pretty inaccurate so far in the Lions uniform. Comes out, goes for the 43-yard field goal, and it's wide right. And Ugh. I nearly Ugh. threw up. <laughs> oh yeah! When I you saw it hook, and you're like, "Oh man, not again!" Oh, not the Falcons! <laughs> and then we hear the whistle. We hear the whistle, and I was, I was like, "What could they possibly be calling here?" Yeah. Has there ever been a greater delay of game call? I still don't understand. I, I don't quite yeah, remember what little, happened. I, thought... I was a little confused because when they threw the flag, I was like, "Oh." I, it doesn't matter, right? Doesn't the isn't it over? Like the flag was thrown. I thought that meant the game was over. So I, I thought that I, I did not know that the game clock was shorter than the time. Cl- you know, like the yeah. Time I wasn't paying attention to the game yeah. Clock. I don't think anybody. I, really I thought. Was. I thought. I mean, I don't remember if anybody had a timeout left, but maybe they were trying to ice Matt Prater. That's what I or, first thought. Yeah. Is no, no one. I don't him. think anyone. No, had no one did. No, no one did. So I was confused. Everybody was confused. And they call the delay of game, thankfully, giving the Lions one more shot at a 48-yard field goal, five yards back, but a second opportunity, and he hits it. It kind of makes me wonder how important or, you know, uh, game-changing icing the kicker could be. Because if you think about it, the refs kind of iced Matt Prater, and he was like, okay, I know what i got to do now. Yeah, Give me, you know, five more yards, but, you know, I know I know where to aim it. And he nailed it. Friggin' nailed it. The one thing that that got me about that whole thing is I didn't think it was going to be delay of game only because during the game Stafford I don't remember which drive it was he had a delay of game oh he yeah took it about one drive. or two yeah. seconds they, I'm like oh man why'd you and they didn't throw the flag nope. and that's why I was so surprised that right when it hit zero they threw the flag I guess they're just paying more attention then or something yeah when they, when they make that game clock bigger right under Matt Stafford it was zero for oh yeah it a was good definitely two zero and the ball was I was like are they gonna call it are they gonna call yeah. it and so Matt Prater hits that field goal I go into hysterics oh yeah I'm sure you guys did too jumped up slapped the like entrance of my door I did yeah. one of those soccer celebrations yeah. pulled my shirt <laughs> off and I'm not exaggerating either I actually did this threw it over over my head. It was a fantastic morning to be a Lions fan. And then we had football to follow after that. So it was just that much more fun to watch. Bears got trounced. Bears got trounced. Packers lost. 
it was a great week to be a Lions fan, guys. And I want to know from you guys, Lions coming out with the 22-21 to 21 win. But obviously there are some question marks when you go into halftime down 21 to nothing. Most teams in the NFL, you're down 21 to nothing, you're not coming back against. So what do you think it was for the Lions this week that they were able to come back? Was it the more the Falcons' mistakes, or were the Lions really able to make these adjustments, and is that why they were able to make this comeback? It is a, it is a perfect, and this is just the worst answer, a perfect 50-50 split. Yeah. Because even Howie Long said after the game, last year's Lions wouldn't have won that game. And I totally agree with him. Oh, I don't true. think the Lions would have won that game last year. But this year, new coaching staff, that is half the reason why they won it. They kept calm. They kept Stafford calm. Everybody still had the mantra, hey, we can win this. We don't got to hurry. We got the time. Just everybody relax. But on that same, the same way, the Falcons helped us out a lot. The they holding they call that terrible. stopped the clock. The They called a timeout for, like, I don't even know why they called the timeout. Like, it just, terrible. It, it, was a, it was a 50-50 split. They had terrible play calling as well, and the Lions defense was just able to do what they do every week. I mean, I, I just want to thank Mike Smith for a second oh, for, yeah. giving us, for giving the Lions first place in the, in the NFC North. Because if it's not for his play calling and his usage of his timeouts, the Lions lose that game. Easily. Easily. And... If they if all they had to do was run the ball on third down, and you could easily run off another 30, 40 seconds off the clock, Lions wouldn't have had time to drive down the field and get that field goal. Of course, we never know. Things could go differently. Stafford could connect for, with for a huge pass with Golden Tate or something like that. But I don't think the Lions win that game without the help of Mike Smith. It's, it's almost exactly like last week when Drew Brees threw the ball on third and nine. Right and cause that interception. It's almost like they're handing the Lions these last minute wins. Maybe they just they're used to the crappy Lions defense. Mm-hmm. And they just. But, but what I want to bring up though, what I was talking about earlier, is why I don't think the Lions would have won the game a different way. I think the Lions would have lost this game if they converted that two point conversion where there was no flag. I think they convert that and they're all tied up. I don't think the Falcons play small ball. I think the the Falcons just go for the win because they're tied and they're. Only two and five, and they're at, at, towards the bottom of their division, and they're really just playing just for a win. Whereas you don't make this two point conversion, the Falcons are like, "Oh my gosh, we have this lead! Like we have it. We don't want to blow it. We're going to play small ball. We're going to overthink everything we're doing." Blah blah blah. But here we go. The Lions don't convert, so they have the win. So they play this small ball and they outthink themselves. I think if the Lions convert, I think they lose because I think the Falcons take more time to go all the way down the field and score a touchdown or a field goal, and then the Lions don't have enough time to make a miracle. I disagree. I, I don't. Think, I think small ball is what the Lions' defense is best at, and they, yeah, they would have had all that time, but they would have done a three and out just like how they did. I don't think before. so. I think the Falcons with with it all on the line. I think the Falcons would have been able to chew off more clock and score more points, and it would have screwed the Lions over. So what you're saying, Lewis, is the Lions would not have won that game if they had converted a two-point conversion and if they had not uh, been charged with the delay of game. So really, the mistakes by the Lions are what won them the game. I agree. I agree. I don't think, because honestly, just with that Buffalo game, like it was, they just like the Bills got that perfect amount of time, and that was more coaching where they could run off enough clock and just screw the Lions over the with the field goal. I think the Falcons would have won this game if the Lions converted because it would have been a different game plan, and they wouldn't have had the stupid coaching executions and the timeouts and the flags that they had that they inevitably ended up having. 
So, you know, that goes back to my point, though. I think that all falls in the Falcons' coaching staff oh, yeah. then. Yeah. Because if you can't capitalize on the other team's mistakes, if you don't know how to secure your lead, and here's a team who won their first two games, they'd start the season 2-0, and lose their next five. This isn't a team that's been able to hold on to a lead anytime lately. And it's clear that they weren't able to... They didn't really know what to do with their lead. They obviously wanted to run out the clock, but I think they got a little greedy on their final drive. See, here's another thing of the reason why I don't think the Lions would have won, or I don't think they would have won. The Lions had just a 3% win probability when the Falcons snapped the ball with 209 left in the game. Really? That's an interesting... St- I, I don't know. I, I think the Lions were more prepared coming out of the half. They, just like every game this year, they've come out the better team for the second half. They're they're just getting coached up way better than the other team, no matter who they've gone up against. The, the Falcons were flat the whole second half. Goose egg. I don't think if they would have got the ball after the two-point conversion, they would have done anything because the Lions were just the better team in the second half. Lewis, you said that the Lions would not have won this game if it was last year's team. I'm going to change that a little bit. Okay. I think with this year's team, the Lions. I think with this year's team, the Lions could have lost that game if Jim Schwartz was still the head coach. No, oh, I agree. That's what I think, I think. That's the biggest change. I think that's what Howie Long was was going along with. It's the coaching staff, and that's why the team. I don't think he was referring like. I think what he meant when he said the team, he meant it being coached by Jim Schwartz and the whole mantra that that team had. Well, because really, they wouldn't many, have been they wouldn't have been able to win it. And I agree. Well, because how many players are really different? There's more. There was more coaching changes than player acquisitions since last year. This is true, but this exactly it exactly shows how much a coach means right. to a team. I, I think the other amazing thing is coming out of this game is that the Lions went into this and they're missing five starters on offense, and uh, Nick Fairley goes down and C.J. Mosley isn't there to replace him, and they still win. Yeah, that's I mean, a statement. That's something that we haven't even brought up. You don't have Calvin Johnson in there. You don't have Reggie Bush in there. You have a beat-up offensive line. You have Fairley and Mosley going down, Mosley with a suspension, but... With all of those injuries stacked up against them, it makes me wonder what this Lions team is going to be following the bye week coming up. And with these players coming back from injury, you assume that Calvin Johnson's going to be ready to go week 10 following the bye week. If he's not if he's not back against the Dolphins, he, I don't think he's going to be right the whole season. I, I, I think he's had enough time to heal. I, I disagree. He, I would think that the Miami game would be another game to where they could hold him out, and then that, that way they go into Arizona... New England and Chicago with a complete – there's no reason he shouldn't be completely healthy going into the – those are going to be the three toughest games of the season for the Lions. I don't think you can go into any game thinking, oh, I don't need Calvin Johnson because this is an easier opponent. I think Calvin Johnson is a weapon that whenever you're able to use him, if he's 100% healthy, I want him out on that field. And I'm not going to go and sleep on the Miami Dolphins because, yeah, they're the Miami Dolphins, but they've got a pretty stout offense – and a pretty stout defense. Tannehill's been pretty good this year, and their defense has been stepping up. They were able to hold the Bears to, I don't even remember how many points, but Miami's looked good this year. And only I don't 14. Think, only to 14 points. I, I do not think that you can sleep on Miami, and I, don't, and I think if Calvin is 100% healthy, you need him out there on that field. Well, if he's 100%, I agree, but if he's, you know, 95. I think you still have him out on the field. Yeah? 
Yeah. I, th- I think he would have been 95 against the Falcons last week. Uh, I, mean, I think if he was 95% he against the Falcons, there. he would have been out there. Mm. Calvin Johnson is somebody who wants to be out on that field. I think I don't think he felt I don't think he said, well, I feel like 90 to 95%, so I really don't think I can play. I don't think that's his mindset going into it. So No, it's not, but that's also when the coaching staff has the uh the the power to say, "No, you're sitting until the bye week. I don't care how good you feel. We have more important, you know, we we have a harder stretch of games after our bye week. It is better for you to sit." So then why tell him you're sitting another week until you're playing Arizona, New England. Well, I mean, that's just we're, we're kind of splitting hairs now. But it, it, situationally, if if he's still not better, I wouldn't. You know, Jim Caldwell could definitely say, "No, Calvin, you're not playing. We need you next week, and we need you 100 percent next week, even if you're 98 right now." I think I, just because it's the NFL, I think every game counts. Every game does. I agree. Count. So I think you need him. If you remember, we all said that the lock of the season for the Lions was over the Buffalo Bills. And the Lions came out with a loss. So the healthier team than where they're at right now. So you really cannot sleep on any team. Because look at that. Buffalo's actually pretty good this year. I think they're 5-2 and two right now. So you can't sleep on they're anyone. Four, I think they're 4-3, and three, but yeah. You would just hope that with a month's rest that he's okay. And he's ready to go. And I, you would think a month. It's, they're five, he's 5-3, five and three, by the way. The oh, Bills are 5-3. Yeah. and three. Five But and I think three. a month's rest, he'll be okay. He'll be okay. And he'll be ready to go November 9th. And I think... He won't be the only one who's ready to go November 9th. I'm thinking you're looking at Reggie Bush, ready out there November 9th. My fantasy team needs him. I think you're looking at Kyle Van Noy, ready to come back November 9th. Which is a nice addition now that Nick Fairley's gone. Even though it's a different position, he still helps out the void. Yeah, they could do a little bit of uh, position rotation. Nick Fairley is the real question mark here. Now, a report came out today that he would be out four to five weeks. But Jim Caldwell shut that down. Shut that down. He said that didn't come from our office. We're not really sure how long he's going to be out for, and he might be out for the rest of the season. But I'll, I'll tell you, I thought that was a torn ACL. I thought when he, so too. when that injury it, occurred. It, looked, it didn't look nice. <laughs> it didn't look nice at all. No. And so the fact that it came out, I believe it was a sprained MCL and PCL. Yep. yep. So. The fact that the original diagnosis was four to five weeks, I think the Lions got a little lucky with that. But do you think Nick Fairley has possibly played his last game in a Lions uniform? Of course, he's a free agent after this season. And I want to know, do you think this injury has any impact on whether the Lions will sign him and also how much the Lions are going to sign him for if they would? I think that was not his last game. Only I'm saying that because I have Rashad Jennings on my fantasy team, and he sprained his MCL, and he has been out a month, and they're expecting him to be out one more week, and he'll be back, and that's five weeks. I know it's a different player, it's a different position, but I'll say fairly we'll be a back. A different amount of weight and above th- that knee, that too. That, <laughs> too, but I would say he'll be back in December. You're saying, for, if, if you're looking at four to five weeks from now, the estimation would be he'd come back for... Either Thanksgiving against Chicago, nope. November twenty seventh, nope. December seventh against Tampa Bay. Against Tampa Bay, that gives that gives him four more weeks to finish off the season. And I think what's most important is he's back for week sixteen and seventeen in those frozen tundras of Soldier Field and Lambeau. I think you need him out there when you're going against Jay Cutler and Aaron Rodgers. I I think 
that these are not his last games as a Lions player. I think he I think I agree with Lewis that he will come back. But let's say he doesn't. Let's say he's out the rest of the season. You don't as the Lions franchise, you know, you're looking at a possible situation where you lose Nick Fairley and Adamican Sue. You know, Liberty uh scales of justice or whatever. How do you want to do it? Adamican Sue in one hand, Nick Fairley in the other. Who do you want? You want Adamican Sue. They're going to, you know, it depends on what they do with him on if this will be Nick Fairley's last few games. You know, if, if Nick Dominican Sue can come back, the Lions will sign him over Nick Fairley. I think the Gerald McCoy signing this weekend more favors Sue not coming back. Yeah, I, I think he got if, seven years. Seven years. If J.J. Watt's deal made Sue's value vault, Gerald McCoy's made it jump into the universe. Like, not even outer space, like past outer space. Like, you're looking at, what, Sue's going to get... At least seven, if not eight years on that contract. I mean, we're talking about a guy who I think Gerald McCoy is better than Adamican Sue, but Adamican Sue's the bigger name. If you he's remember, he was guy. taken. He's the bigger guy. He was take. He was drafted one spot before Gerald McCoy in the NFL draft, and so I think it's really interesting to compare their two careers because they were drafted right next to each other, and I don't think there's any way that Adamican Sue does not make more money and get an equal or more amount of years than Gerald McCoy after that contract. It would be easier to sign him if Nick Fairley's gone. It would it not it would, but at the same time it wouldn't mean that a whole lot. Just the way those caps work. I don't even nobody really knows how they work, but I don't think Nick Fairley being gone really matters that much. Yeah. I don't know. No, It'll be, not on on a on a financial price tag. I'm just saying, if Nick Nick Fairley going down, the Lions are still going to Dominican Sue is going to be their number one priority. If they can resign him, they will look at that before Nick Fairley. I totally agree with. And you. the fact that Nick Fairley is always not always injured, but injured more often than Dominican Sue, you know, it, everything just tips in uh, Sue's attrition faith. is a uh, is definitely a factor, and I think that this injury definitely hurts Fairley's chances of coming back, just because. He's only played, what, one full season as a Lion? The rest he's been injured in and out just for t- several different reasons. I think this definitely hurts him a lot, and his chances are a lot slimmer now of coming back as a Lion. But I also think now there was just two negatives in the Lions category. We're signing both those guys with the McCoy, with the McCoy signing and now with the Fairley injury. I think there's a more chance now that neither come back. I think, yeah, I think no matter what, it's an ugly situation for the Lions franchise. Here's two guys you're talking about that were top 10 picks in the NFL draft, and... I think one career has soared, but maybe not to the heights that other people expected and sues. And I think Fairley's has been fairly, no pun intended, it's been fairly disappointing. Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> um, I, I, I would even go as far to say that Fairley is a little bit of a bust. I think he has the talent, but he really hasn't been able to apply it so far because injuries have lingered with him. And also athleticism and his weight have limited him, limited him as well. So... I think Fairley is somebody where if the Lions really are not able to bring him back and Sue back, I think they'll look at Sue first, but I think it'd be fairly more likely to come back based on interest. And I think that I think I don't think the Lions are gonna be giving Sue enough for what Sue wants to come back here. I think you you're looking at a team like the Jets or the Giants or the Cowboys. I know we've discussed a few of those different teams that will have the money, the cap room, to be able to sign Sue. I think I think Sue will take the money and leave. I totally agree. There is no way he's back unless the unless he gets the key to the city. <laughs> well, I wanted to bring up one more final topic um, to finish up the show because, of course, we don't really have a game to preview next week. Next week is the Lions' bye week, 
So I, I wanted to know from you guys, Lions are sitting at 6-2 and two right now, are now on top of the NFC North, ahead of the 5-3 and three Green Bay Packers. It's pretty nice up there at the top. Oh, yeah. But I don't want to know who the best team is in the NFC North. I want to know who do you, who you guys think is the best team in the NFC. Chris, I'm going to start with you. Because start I think this me. is an interesting topic because the Lions are right up there at the top with some teams that you might be able to argue the Lions have more talent than. Okay. I believe that the Arizona Cardinals are the best team in the NFC. And that has to do with the play, the teams that they have beaten so far, power rankings-wise, uh, you know, popularity. They've beaten the Chargers. They've beaten the Niners. They've, you know, they've beaten the Eagles just recently. Um, you know, they beat Washington. Washington, who just beat Dallas. You know, the whole, he beat him, he beat him, so he's better than him, whatever. The Lions, you know, they, they've beaten great teams, but Arizona has just beaten a few more better teams in the Eagles and the Niners and... Chargers. So I think the Arizona Cardinals have a bit of a leg up. Alternatively, I think the Cardinals really haven't had, you know, they haven't been exposed by a team that can attack them uh, on defense, you know, a very, a very critical defense. And that's exactly what the Lions have, something that they have a leg up on the Cardinals. The Lions have won almost all of their games on their defense. They've beaten, you know, the Saints and the Falcons, limiting them, you know, to goose eggs in the second quarter. You know, they lost to Buffalo. We're not going to focus on that. They've limited Aaron Rodgers to seven points. Uh, You know, they've both beat the Giants. I think they're teams that are equal, kind of, going into the NFC, and it's going to be the most important game. I have it circled on my uh, uh, schedule. Arizona versus the Lions is going to be the most important NFC matchup of the season coming up because that determines huge playoff race uh, exponents, you know. Implications. Implications. Yeah, whatever you want to say. It's going to be very important. Huge game. Interesting. Because beginning a season, you're probably not saying Arizona's even the second best team in their own division mm-hmm. with San Francisco and Seattle in there. And so... Arizona's an interesting choice. I know they have the best record in the NFC, but Lewis, do you have a differing opinion? So, uh, just a real quick question: Are we doing this? What have we done for me? What have you done for me lately? Or are we doing this right now? Like right now, who's the best? Or overall, who is the best? Right now, who's the best? Who do you see in the NFC Championship? Who do you see coming out? Because th- those are two different things. Right now, who's the best? It's simple: the Arizona Cardinals are the best, and there's no denying that. Uh, like what the Niners? They've got some turmoil with Harbaugh. Moving the, the forward, the Seahawks are falling apart. Like the Lions look better than everybody else in their division, except sometimes they got to pull it out from the behind. You know, I just I want to know. It's going to be a little bit of a combination. What have you done for me lately? But also, what are you going to be doing who for you, me moving forward? Who are you most comfortable with saying? I'm more comfortable saying a different bird is better. I think the Eagles are better. Solely because I think LaShawn McCoy and Jeremy Macklin and Nick Foles and the rest of their offense is slightly more applicable to win more games than the Arizona Cardinals. Only because I don't think Carlson, Carson Palmer can put it together for a season. I don't think he can. He's doing very well. So he far. is doing very well, but this is halfway through the season. Do you think Nick Foles can put it together for an entire season? I think he can because he's younger. I think the what the think- Eagles have going for them is the weakness of their division compared to the Cardinals' strength of their division. The Cardinals still have to face Seattle twice. So, so, you, so you, you said Foles was younger, but don't you think his youth is something that can get him his way? Very true, but Carson Palmer has a lot of tread on those tires. 
And even though you have veteran, you know, things down the line, him being a veteran could uh, pull out during a, a big, a big game that they need to win. I just see the Eagles winning. I, at the end, I see the Eagles prevailing over the Cardinals slowly because a quarterback is what your team. Good teams have good quarterbacks, and I think at the end of the season, Nick. I'd rather have Nick Foles over Carson Palmer. Who do you there think you the Lions? Do you think both those teams could beat the Lions? Any team could beat the Lions. Well, okay. Anybody can beat anybody. Okay. Um, I think the Lions can beat the Cardinals, but I mean, I don't think I think they would lose to the Eagles. I don't think they could handle Shady McCoy. I don't think they could. All right. Well, I've got a bit. I've got a different answer than both of you, and it's not the Lions. So none of us think the Lions are the best team in the NFC. I'm going with the team that actually lost last night, the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, uh, barf. And I knew you guys were going to make that noise when I said that. But you look at the Cowboys. If Romo doesn't leave that game yesterday with that back injury, well, Cowboys win that game, and they are 7-1. and one. Yeah, but they, faced, they, they really struggled against a Redskins team that's just not that great. They wouldn't have struggled if Romo had left that game. I really believe that. And if, Ro- and if Romo had not gotten injured, the Cowboys win that game. And you look at DeMarco Murray right now in that backfield – I think he right now is the offensive MVP in the NFL, and I don't think you can not, and I don't think you can deny that I he's agree. ran for 100 yards every single game this season. It's an NFL record. I totally agree with you. And if it wasn't for him, Golden Tate would be the MVP. I, I think they have the most dynamic offense when you combine skill position superstars and Demarco Murray and Des Bryant, and then you got Terrence Williams over on the other side who nobody talks about, and then you look at that offensive line who I think is top three, if not the number one offensive line in the NFL. Well, they have to. DeMarco Murray just bought them all computers because he just broke a record. Yeah, and they deserve those computers too because they are an amazing offensive line. And they are the reason why DeMarco Murray has ran for 100 yards every single game. And you look at the defense. The defense was projected to be historically bad this year. Historically bad. Last in the NFL in every category. And they've, and they've exceeded expectations. Do I think they're the best defense in the NFC? Definitely not. But I think they have a good enough defense where they're able to support that dynamic offense. And I I believe in Tony Romo. I can't believe well, I'm oh saying this. God, but I believe goodness. in Tony Romo over Carson Palmer and over Nick Foles. I think Romo has the most experience on those tires when you're talking about big games and being under pressure. And I think Romo... With having Des Bryant and Terrence Williams and DeMarco Murray and one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, they are the best team in the NFC. Have you looked at their schedule, though? I mean, the, the, the games that they've won are all games the Lions can win. They beat the Titans, the Rams, the Saints, I don't care. the Texans, and the Giants. And then they beat Seattle, which was arguably I don't care. their best win. They lost to the Niners and the Redskins. Their season is a fluke so far, and they're trending. You really down. think their season is a fluke? Uh, it's not a. It, I wouldn't maybe not a fluke, but it's not as great as it looks. I mean, they've beaten crap teams bottom of the league. I St. Agree Louis with, and the Titans and the Giants—they're not that great. I agree with Chris's statement. They got Arizona, two games against Philly and the Colts. Those are big games. They're—they're they're not going to set them apart from the rest of their division. 
They're not going to pull out with 10 wins. The Eagles are better than them. And the the Redskins expose exactly what their weakness is. They got five sacks on Tony Romo. They made him look like the crap Romo he's been the past few years. And they, you know, they hurt his back again. They like, they, they put him down. Like I said, if Romo doesn't come out with that back injury, we're talking about the Cowboys at 7-1, and one, and I think we're having a different conversation, and you guys are maybe agreeing with me a little more than you are right now. I refuse to agree. And the other thing is coaching separates, and Bruce Arians, Chip Kelly, and Jim Caldwell are all better coaches than just uh, Jason Garrett. And Rod Marinelli. <laughs> well, to wrap it up, I just want to know from you guys, for any of you, are the Lions second on your list? Yes. Real quick. Yes. Third. I think, well, I think they could be first, but we didn't, I didn't argue that. But yes, third. absolutely. I'll, I'll agree with Lewis putting them third, but it's time to finish up our show. So I want to thank everybody for listening to the Lions Den here on Impact Sports. I want to thank Chris Bogstradamus bogus i love that new nickname we've given you <laughs> and lewis holata Pilata. yeah i'm your host michael Hager. thank you for everyone for listening enjoy your bye week we won't be on bye next week we'll be right here with you for another edition of lions den and like always go lions, lions!